Sorry. Did I hit you in the face? No, but you thought about it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad that's where the recording is. Yes, you've yep. got it. This is our cold <laughs> open. Much like this show hits us in the face with... No, I got nothing. Um, welcome, everyone, to Pen Pen Pals for another episode talking about Steinsgate, episodes three and four this time. I'm Alex. Hi, this is Blixa. Hey, this is Ben. And this week, we got another friend of the show coming back. I uh, wanted to start ourselves off with a bunch of history. Since this is a time travel show, Ooh. we have uh, my live-in partner here with us, Tanya. I'm also a time traveler, so. <gasps> yeah, from what year? Wouldn't you like to know? <laughs> you can't disclose that. That'll corrupt the time stream. Mm-hmm. Wait, have you never looked at any time travel stuff ever? Right, right, right. Well, if you tell someone you're a time traveler, does that corrupt the time stream? We're about to find out. Okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> ben, you look like you're on the cover of like an artsy poster. <laughs> it's just like Very so dumb. much negative space around <laughs> you. And there's just a shape behind you. Like, mm-hmm. I'm sure it's a pillow or something, but it just reads it, as. It's abstract. like a weird infant, like crawling pillow. So it's like, uh, oh, like a ramp. Okay. That sounds perfect. Good good for lower back support. <laughs> I'm in the nursery now. That's where I record from. Mm. Wait, why do you have a nursery? I've told you that Maggie's pregnant. <gasps> I don't know what? that you have. What? I feel like I would have remembered, but maybe. Maybe you did. What? You're having a kid in four months? No, I'm having a kid next month. What? Wow. <laughs> what, the, what? 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 Whoa. What? Whoa. Hey, welcome back to our new parenting podcast. There's going to be Pen Pen Pals parenting. Yeah. Oh my gosh. There's going to be a new Pen Pen Pal. Is that is that an okay thing to have on the podcast? Uh, yeah. I mean, it's fine at this point. Yeah. I swear that okay. we like, had made jokes about this already. No, that's with your other anime podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, my God. We have to talk about all the things. I mean, and so that's why I'm like, yeah, I don't know. Like, coming up soon, I might not be able to. Like... <laughs> that's why. <laughs> wow. That's so exciting. I'm so proud of you. That's wonderful. So what's up with you, Tasha? <laughs> <laughs> can you top that? Yeah, I can. I'm not pregnant. I'm oh, okay. Yes. Congratulations. Uh, no, there's nothing really new with me. Um, you know, I'm just still doing theater, still existing. Okay. I feel like the last time we checked in with you, we talked about Romeo and Juliet closing, and that was like a year ago. Well, what, what, uh, did you do anything Shakespeare recently? I did. I just, uh, finished King Lear. We did an all female non binary version of King Lear, mm. and I was Cordelia. Oh. I just cried the whole time. Yeah. That's all she does, <laughs> she just cries and dies. Like every good Shakespearean tragedy female character. They cried and failed. They cried and died. And now I'm about to go into, wait, what is this being released this episode? I don't know. Next okay. week, two weeks, maybe. Okay. Well, I, the, the next show hasn't been announced yet. So, but I am currently booked for the, the holiday season. That's hush hush. Okay. Holiday season. Got it. Got it. Got it. Okay. Mm. Uh, uh, nothing else new, although you are considering revitalizing or, or doing a new podcast, right? A horror one? Yes. Uh, I used to do a couple podcasts and then I got too stressed and bogged down by it. And then um, a few of my friends were like, please do another one. And I was like, okay, because we all like horror movies and I love horror movies. So we, I've come up with a name, Screams on Screen, SOS for short, currently coming up Cute. with a logo. And then I will be just 
tackling every single horror movie that comes my way. You know, if you all want to come and do any horror movie stuff, um, I know yeah. Perfect Blue was one that one of my friends wanted to cover, which might oh, be up wow. alley too. So, right. yeah. yeah. Any excuse to watch a Satoshi Kon film? <laughs> did did we do Perfect Blue on this podcast? I'm trying to remember. Yeah. No. We talked about it uh, a little bit with Theta because he had done some coverage of it, which is excellent if you ever want it. It's a real deep dive on it. Mm. Um, but yeah, we could, we could do Ho episodes where we talk about the horror aspects of it and then the anime history aspects right. of it. Well, we do have Halloween coming up around the corner. Mm-hmm. Spooky. But Tanya, I just saw X last night for the first time. Oh yeah. That's a crazy movie. That's a good one. Like I haven't seen it. What what is X? Are you talking about it, it's a the horror anime? movie? No, it's a horror movie. I've heard of it, but I have not seen it. Oh, yeah. Give us a pitch. What uh, is it great? It's is it sort streaming, of like is the main question. Yeah, it's on Paramount Plus if you have that. Ah. But it's kind of like part of that, I don't know what you call like the new wave of horror movement. Like mm-hmm. it's a little bit meta. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. So like it's about a small filmmaking crew <laughs> that is going to, they're going to do like amateur porn or something. Mm-hmm. Um, but oh, I guess. Does that have Mia Goth in it? Yeah. Yes, it does. <laughs> yes. That's, yeah. Okay. Kai uh, I, I think it's about like femininity and like the shaming of femininity. Oh, oh. from Infinity Pool. Uh, yeah. Mia Goss in a lot of horror stuff right now. She's the new Scream Queen. Mm. Oh, oh, wait, wait. Infinity Pool. I was thinking of like some different version of Deadpool, like Gwenpool or mm-hmm. Spider Pool. <laughs> mm-hmm. I would watch Infinity Pool if it was like a, a female Deadpool thing. <laughs> I thought it was like Deadpool with like the Infinity Gauntlet or something. <laughs> it's just a room full of Ryan Reynolds talking to each other. That's also fair. <laughs> but do you do you suggest X? Was it good? Yeah, I think uh, it, it gives plenty to talk about. Sweet. There's a sequel now to Pearl, a prequel, I guess. I'm going to have to wait till my nerves calm down a bit before I watch <laughs> another horror movie. Uh, oh, yeah. And then for not anime, but for fans of animation, the Venture Brothers movie uh, came out. So anybody who's a fan of Venture Brothers, it is a bit like a long, pretty good episode. They didn't like shift up the dynamics to make it really a movie, but it, it was nice. It was good. I enjoyed it. Okay, well, any any other news, anything we want to go into before we watch these things and be amazed by time travel? Well, if you enjoyed the all-female cast of King Lear, you might enjoy an anime called Nana. It's about two women named Nana that meet on a train and sort of begin their romance. Word. That reminds me of the the home movies episode where he wants to make a movie about a chance meeting between Louis Pasteur and Louis Braille. <laughs> I love it. I love that show. Anyway, sorry, uh, uh, I digress. But Nana was good. You like recommend Nana was. Good oh yeah, it. it's fabulous. It's was super it queer. Um, I'm Ooh. watching it on High Dive. It's where a lot of the deep cut animes reside. I, high Dive. Mm-hmm. And is that through, like, do they have an association with Crunchyroll? Are they the same company? Mm-hmm. No. They're different. Okay. Yeah. Excuse Crunchy me. absorbed Funimation. Getting, are we getting an anime monopoly now? Oh, there already are. Crunchy going to be the, the Disney of anime? Is yeah. Not the producers, but the distributors. Yeah. There are uh, uh, monopolies. That's fine. Disney will own everything eventually. Yeah, that's true. We'll have <laughs> one entertainment company. But in the meantime, we fight against them just as we fight against CERN. That's right. The evil organization. Mm -hmm. All evil organizations are symbolically one evil organization. They're all just oppressors. 
But anyways, let's get to watching this thing. Episode three. Everybody got it pulled up? Okay. All right, Ben, you want to give us a countdown? Uh, yeah, I, I, I forgot we talked so long. We already did the intro stuff. <laughs> do we, oh, yeah. Yes, right. and you yeah. told us that you're having a baby <laughs> in a do, month. Do we have like a last time on or anything like that? Last time excited. on. I didn't do a last time on. <gasps> but thank you. That's a good reminder for the next one uh, uh, for next week. Last time on, Ben didn't tell you he was having a baby. <laughs> I swear we were making jokes about this and like invading the baby's privacy on the podcast. Well, you need to get some art on the walls of that nursery. You look like you're in a Wes Anderson yeah. film. He's got a month to do it. You can't it. see that high anyway. Just need art on the floor. Baby <laughs> doesn't need any stimulus. It's fine. All right. Here All we right. go. Three, two, one, play. Did we ever figure out what's on his hat? I asked that same question yesterday when we were watching. Yeah, this. we don't know it. I mean, it's a little bit phallic. It just looks like a corporate symbol to me, but it could be any kind of symbol yeah. or sigil. <gasps> Witchcraft. Oh, it's a question mark, but it's like one of those MC Escher type uh, geometric uh, paradoxes. Oh, okay. This is the symbol on Daru's head. Yeah. Or his hat, I guess, not directly on his head. That would be cool. That would be fun. It's just still if he had an MC Escher uh, uh, question mark tattooed on his forehead. Okay, some revelations. Probably things people were, you know, anticipating already that the microwave was doing something funny because it already did it with the the bananas, and now we have. Well, we don't have confirmation that that it's the microwave itself or just the microwave, but they did successfully send a text back in time using the microwave and some chicken fingers. That's because they don't know how to use a microwave. And I don't know how to use a microwave. So the other scientist is on the team now. Yes. She ran away, though. Well, yeah, that's true. He gave her a position. Whether she really wants it is up for debate. And uh, Daru hacked CERN. Yes. Pretty cool. But only base level hacked. Can't see everything. Right. You can't see. You can only see boobs. Right. You can only see boobs. So I I wanted to clear this up. Okabe calls Makise Matahari when she's in there. Can someone explain that reference to me? Yes. Matahari was an exotic dancer in the early 1900s. She was kind of. I don't know. I think that she like kind of really helped usher in burlesque dancing because like it was stripping, but she elevated the art to like something more than it was. Uh-huh. And then she became a spy. <gasps> She's kind of badass um, because she was Dutch and they were neutral. She, a lot of people didn't look into oh. like she could cross borders. Matahari. That does not sound Dutch. Okay. So she was like stealing a belly dancing routine or something from. I think she stole it. I think she appropriated it. Well, I don't. I don't think she was really like. I. I okay. I think she was just a belly dancer. Okay. She was an exotic dancer. <laughs> yeah. She's an exotic dancer. Okay. <laughs> Who became a spy and then she died. I want to say by firing squad Ooh. or something like that. Like she was executed. Ooh. So she was a real spy. She was a real spy. And there's like a theory that like um she was executed more as a scapegoat. Like it there's a theory that like the organization she was working for kind of gave her up because okay. she was like, so who the cares if we execute her, right? Like mm. uh but yeah so she was an exotic dancer turned courtesan turned spy. 
courtesan yes. in this stage in, in this account? account yeah pretty impressive huh but yeah she was she was pretty legit okay from what i know i don't like know like deep intrinsic facts about her maybe she was awful but like the broad strokes of the storyline she's pretty legit okay and since Steingates, he's calling her Matahari because he's accusing her of being a spy, being a spy sent by the organization to infiltrate their lab. Mm. But I also think okay, that, that makes like, sense. But also with how he's going and how we talk about harems a lot, I do think the fact that he picked a spy that like has a sexual oh. nature to her work is also part of the job. The, the job right, he's her. revealing his attraction to her yeah. through his references. Oh, I think he's calling okay. her a seductress. Yeah. Okay. The original uh, honeypot uh, spy <laughs> technique. <laughs> honeypot. Yeah. <sighs> I don't think she's a spy. Does anybody think she's a spy except Okabe? No, she's just okay. A, she's a lecturer. <laughs> oh, with those uh, bangs? No. <laughs> All right. Where are we? Makise uh, is given a, a, an apprenticeship by Okabe. Not that she wants it, but she comes and checks out uh, the banana. Um, and in the middle of all that, we cut away to Suzuha, the young new apprentice to Mr. Braun, watching coverage of the satellite impact. And I hadn't noticed this before, but uh, Blixie, you said that it was really cool because she like kept changing channels and it was almost like she changed the channel to the show we're watching because it mm-hmm. flips back to the uh, the apartment. Yeah, on Makise's face looking at the bananas. Yeah. If anybody's a spy, it's that girl. Oh. Whoa. Well, I don't think she's a spy. Honestly, like I've never seen the show. So this isn't a spoiler. This is me just coming up with theories and having watched a bunch of time travel things. Mm-hmm. But like, I feel like she was someone sent back into the past to pepper information to mm-hmm. him so that he can figure things out. Oh. Immediately, like in conversation drops a lot of like, oh yeah, this specific computer, like it was like told to be something. Oh my God, that's information that you're excited about. That's so weird. I just kind of said that. They also didn't know what corn was. That's very strange. Yeah, and we keep cutting back to her just for little tiny scenes, which is also very suspicious. Okay, so we need to keep our eye on Suzuha. If that is her real name. It might not be. It could be Matahari. Oh, God. It could be Matahari. <gasps> maybe she's come forward in time. Yeah, maybe this is all about Matahari. She wasn't killed by firing squad. <laughs> no. Mm, that was all a ploy. Okay, so they do try another experiment with the uh, the microwave of sending a text. And it is funny, like, I think it's indicative of Okabe, especially his, like, bullish, his bullheadedness, because they're like, we're going to try this experiment. But instead of, like, laying it out and then executing it, he's just like, start the microwave up. Now you send me a text message. Why didn't they put another banana in there? Because he's not a real scientist. He doesn't do any controls. He doesn't do his experiments (laughs) properly. And it is driving me up the effing wall. I thought this is the very first episode we watched it. I think he's Rusty Venture in that he is just the scientist who says shit. And sometimes he's right. And he thinks that all the girls are in love with him. And like most of them think that he's a huge nerd. And like he's only good at his job because of the people around him are very competent. Mm, And he accidentally creates things. Yeah, I'm just sad because her chicken tenders were ruined and he didn't tell her ahead of time that like, hey, we're going to do this. We're going to use your chicken tenders. Also, they're all broke. Like her buying them food and like them like running out on the tab for food is a constant theme so far. And so I'm just like, don't ruin her chicken tenders. 
I have to emphasize one point, though. These are much more than chicken tenders. This is chicken <gasps> kareage. It is wonderful. It's a marinated chicken oh, uh, that tastes much better than your average dino nuggies. Okay. And this is like a specific brand or a specific style of chicken tender? <laughs> It's not a chicken tender. <laughs> so it's boat, boneless, so I think that's why they translated it that way, but maybe more like fried chicken. Is that what you guys are getting it? It was saying chicken tenders? Yeah, yeah. she keeps saying, oh, my my tenders will never be tender again. Yeah, they made a nice joke about it in the English. She's like, my chickies will never be tender again. Oh, my God. All right, I need to write a letter to somebody. Okay, so I'm sorry. <laughs> Explain this to me one Kareage more time. chicken is-, is awesome. It's It's a marinated chicken. It's usually like a sweet soy sauce and then you bread it and fry it uh but it's these cubes it's kind of like bar food but you can get it at japanese 7-elevens uh it's kind of thing you'd take on a picnic but uh you can get chicken tenders in japan but they're not uh, nearly as yeah, popular karayage chicken is like the bomb like if you okay. watch domestic anime and someone's getting like fried chicken things at a 7-eleven that's likely what it is okay now, based on the box they came in, did this look like something she got fresh from a restaurant or it was a prepackaged? The thing? version I'm watching on Crunchyroll said it was Kadeage. Yeah. But yeah, I'd say like a like convenience store box of chicken. So they were meant to be microwaved. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, reheat them or whatever. Yeah. Okay. I just didn't know if they were already warm in the box. And he was like, let's <laughs> nuke them again. Ben, have you had it? Yeah. yeah. Is, do you like, like it? Karage. Yeah. Yeah, it's very good. All right. And that is a really underwhelming response, Ben. <laughs> I feel like if you go to like a uh, like izakaya place in the U.S., you can probably get. Oh, uh, if you have a Mitsuwa near you, they have it. Okay, they have them in California. Well, Tanya does not eat chicken, and uh, I am vegetarian, pescatarian. So right. yeah, not much occasion for us to try chickeny things. You can also get kareage tofu, which is also very good. But they, oh, that does sound good. So so they try this experiment again. With and, no setup and no control. <laughs> right. And I, no scientific experiment. Like I here. think I saw on the, there's a display on the microwave. And I think it's just a seconds countdown. It looked like he put it in there for 600, which would be 10 minutes. <laughs> what? That's the other thing that I'm like, well, like, are you just dialing in any numbers and like hoping that it works out? Or are you like writing down these numbers that you've dialed in? Like, no. you need a reference sheet? Like, where are your Excel spreadsheets on this? Yeah. Makise asked, like, tell me what the data is. And Dara was like, uh, it spit lightning out. I don't know what else you want from me. <laughs> Well, Daru's the hacker, so I'm not mad at Daru for like not <sighs> keeping up with the scientific aspect of it. That's true. What does Okabe do in he, this? He's Rusty Venture. Okay. He just yells at people to do things. All right. Now, the microwave could have been on low power. You can microwave something for 10 minutes on low power. That's true. Sorry, Ben, what'd you say? And so he comes up with the names for the devices, oh, that's right. the future gadgets. Okay, so he's yeah. just the Steve Jobs. Yeah, the visionary. Uh, I'm liking him less and less. Now we're, we're painting him in early bad light. 
Like, yeah. So I mean, I think the show to, paints him in a bad Yeah, to be honest, as someone who's ever seen the show, I don't like him. Yeah. I'm annoyed he's our main character, yeah. but I'm along for this ride, so let's go. Well, he's got some very loyal friends. I'm sure he's got good qualities. They see something in him, especially Mayuri, and that's what I'm really interested in, because Mayuri is, like, awesome. She's just, like, this incredibly sweet, hardworking, loyal, indefatigable friend. Yeah. He's also down with the trans ladies and uh, supports the weird role play of those cat girl maids that's true he's supposed to be like a weird quirky doctor who okay well we we won't pass our final judgment on him yet but he hasn't won <laughs> us over yet well yeah you don't have to like him that's fine. i don't care but like mm. um i was just having this funny thought like there's chaos magic so i wonder if there's chaos science like what if they just like say fuck the scientific method he seems like the embodiment of chaos science yes okay I think, and I think he does self-identify as a mad scientist. Oh. Okay. So, uh, what's her name? Uh, uh, Mayuri wanting to save her K- Kogayashi. What was it called again? Kareyage. <laughs> Why are you messing up these words so much? Kareyage. This is the first time I've ever heard it. That's almost like teriyaki. But... Kareyage. Teriyaki. Got it. Okay. So, she wants to save her Kareyage chicken. So, she opens up the... Uh, microwave and it just spits a lightning storm at them <laughs> that almost kills everyone in the room it but cuts the desk in half yeah they're fine that's right and then later they talk about it's not sending things back in time anymore and it's not even gooifying bananas anymore so we wonder if opening it prematurely broke whatever mechanism was causing the time travel in the microwave but because we're not following the scientific method who knows that's true there's no way to weed out the bad science but also this like whole thing of like I don't know why, and I cannot remember the name of this movie, but like him just like sending text messages to the past and stuff reminds me of that really bad Sandra Bullock romantic movie. I think it's like the lake house or something where like she puts a letter into a mailbox and then somehow I want to say maybe it's Keanu Reeves in like the future or the past. He lives at that house now Mm -hmm. and he keeps getting her letters from like the past or the future, whichever way. I don't know. Mm -hmm. And I'm just like, is this not, a romantic comedy? That Ryan Gosling? <laughs> I don't. I do not remember who it is. I, I could know. have all the actors, but I remember there was some romantic comedy. Probably no. I don't think it's comedy. I think it's like a romance movie, like probably with Sandra Bullock, where she puts letters into a mailbox, and some dude at some other time gets these letters, and they fall in love. Okay. So we're just putting text messages into a microwave. We have to figure out what that movie is called because that's going to be our recommendation at the end of the episode. <laughs> what? The Lake House? I think that's what it is. I don't oh, know. That no, sounds like a horror movie. We cannot the recommend lake the, lake the Lake House. Yeah, okay. So we cut back to Suzu Ha again and she's fixing a bike. Very yes. mysterious. Yes. It's funny because it, it doesn't need to jump around the way it does. Like Makise ran out of the room when they declared that they had figured out a time machine but we don't get that at the end of that scene instead we have an explosive ending probably cut to commercial uh check back in with suzuha fixing the bike and then we get uh okabe waking up to text messages from sf which is moike moika kiryu and he recounts that makise ran out of the room when they discovered what had happened with the text message uh, which I think is just hmm. like part of the technique of like nonlinear storytelling, adding to the effect of time travel and and inconsistent timelines. Yeah, I guess that the Makise 
fleeing comes up through his conversation with Daru, right? That's sort of how we get that yeah. end of that scene. And I think it looks like they've been trying to recreate the experiment too. Like, doesn't Daru say like, why didn't we just go back to bananas? And there's like a heap of food like next to his desk or something. There is a huge pile of food on the floor. I was going to ask about that. Like, what are they doing? (laughs) Yeah, I think they're trying to recreate the experiment. Oh, and they've just been microwaving everything. They've just been wasting all of the food that Mayuri gives them. Again, we have no scientific method. We are just throwing things at the wall and seeing what sticks. Jesus. I, I would say I feel like that's like fairly accurate to to science, though. You don't use the scientific method when you're like troubleshooting your experiment very much. You like just oh. try a bunch of things until it works. And then you're like, don't touch anything. Just like keep it working. And then it'll just like stop working at some point. And then you're like, fuck, why isn't it working? And then you just like okay. try changing everything until it works again. And then you keep going so mm. it's just the lack of note taking that's all it is <laughs> just take notes yeah you need your lab notebook that's true that's what they need makise for she seems like a data person and she could take vigorous notes yeah. for them you need the woman yeah. to do all the work well she she's like the actual scientist mm. oh that's right uh i'm trying to remember what else was interesting in this episode oh yeah okay and then okabe runs into suzuha while she's uh, fixing the bike and they discuss John Teeter and the IBN 5100. Mm-hmm. What's what's really cute is like, you know, they do that whole, I don't know, like TV show or movie. They change like one little thing in a corporation's name to be like, we're talking about this corporation, but for legal reasons or for comedy reasons, you know, IBN. But they don't change John Teeter, maybe because it's not like a, there's no legal issues yeah. there. But I also like in this, again, because I think she's suspicious. She mispronounces Teeter's name the first time. She's like, oh, John Titer. And he's like, Teeter. And she's like, uh-huh. why would I know that? I'm just a silly girl fixing bikes. Weird. I just saw it on a, an internet forum. So she almost acts like a, a a narrator almost or a, you know, like an information dump, giving these little clues to Okabe about the, the computer, at least, uh, making him pay much more attention to John Teeter. And then we get a little narrative where John Teeter essentially says that when you hop world lines, that like the Mandela effect happens, like people's memories are rewritten, but maybe there's like an unsaid thing that like some people's memories are not rewritten, or maybe the person who jumps world lines, their memory is not rewritten. And so it it causes these like inconsistencies in people's memories, like the Berenstein Bears. Mm-hmm. Which I, I think is always fascinating when like time travel things try to talk about that like the gunslinger series from uh stephen king like there's oh, the dark tower stuff yeah yeah there's some there's some time travel and in one in one instance one character dies but then there's time travel to go back and that character is still alive but that character keeps having like these weird nightmares and flashbacks being like i feel like i die and like it's this whole thing of like what happens when you mess with time and save someone's life and like what happens to the memories and everything mm. like that. It's, it's fascinating. And I always love these conversations. Yeah. I guess mm. every time travel fiction has to come up with its own rules for time travel. Right. And that's one of the things mm-hmm. is they have to sort of establish like, what are the rules in this sci-fi universe in terms of paradoxes and changing the past. And, and this is sort of like our first, one of our early explanations of that. Well, I just take time travel shows at face value because I don't believe time is a thing anyway. So there's not much for me to contribute there. So if time's not a thing, how can we travel through it? We can't. 
Oh, there's right, only so the good. present moment in our memory of changes. Time is just like the metric system. It's how we measure change. Mm, it's okay. not a thing. It's just an idea. It does help us order and make sense of things, though. So I'm glad mm-hmm. that we perceive it, yeah. even if it's not real. Yeah, just like the metric system it helps us organize yeah. space. Does space exist? Oh, wow. Damn it. Oh, God. Fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> Let me think. Uh, does space exist? <laughs> Can you solve this for us really quick? <laughs> just like super quick on this podcast. Like, let's just solve these world answers. Yeah. McKeesay could probably solve it for us. She oh. seems like he's got the answers. Oh. Yes, space exists because change exists. And that's what we're measuring. An inch does not exist. An inch mm. is just an idea um, of a measurement. An okay. An inch of something is, exists. I like that. Okay. So Okabe emails John Teeter with four statements. In 2015, World War III erupts. Mm-hmm. Now that has not happened in our timeline, so I'm assuming. When, this, when did this come out? 2010 ish. So there were some 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 rumblings, fidgy bits around 2016 where World War Three could have probably happened. And, sure. Yeah. In in our own timeline, someone has gone back and fixed it, so that okay, doesn't happen. So, so we're grateful for that. Hero. John Teeter. Uh, John Teeter. Okay, <laughs> we can all be thankful for John Teeter. Thanks, John. In 2036, nuclear war contaminates the Earth. Uh, He says that John Teeter time traveled from 2036 to obtain an IBN 5100 made in 1975 and that the IBN 5100 has hidden functionality. Kind of just a checklist of things that we should kind of know at this point. But now, what's his name? Uh, uh, Okabe is in direct contact with John Teeter. Or someone claiming to be that same John Teeter. He's getting catfished. It's the internet. <gasps> He's getting catfished by CERN, probably. So the the actual, you know, like, uh, quote unquote, actual John Teeter, the like internet thing that happened in real life mm-hmm. was in the early 2000s. And I think John Teeter, that John Teeter said that he was traveling back to the 1970s to get the IBM 5100. But he's like, oh, I just like stopped by in 2000 to like do a couple personal things. And I just, <laughs> I don't know. I just think that that's like a funny story. Well, that's and in cute. this episode, he says like, I've never been to the year 2000. Mm-hmm. Very strange. But I think that's supposed to be like, things are changing and you're not going to be privy to all of them. Uh, just for like trivia, the internet form that was where all this was unfolding, there was a person who sounded off on this, uh, Bob Dubuque, who said that they worked on the original 5100 and confirmed these abilities that Teeter was talking hmm. about. And I don't know if anyone ever followed up, but like he gives his credentials, works at a place called Export Ventures Corporation in Rochester, Minnesota, zip code 55901. Sounds like that guy's John Teeter. <laughs> but uh, there's just like pages and pages of this guy talking about the technical specs of this thing the 5100 mm-hmm. interesting uh that's cool so it does have a good backdrop in in reality like the story that john mm-hmm. teeter tells has some believability to it which makes it a fascinating mystery right yeah every good campfire story has something like that uh oh does john teeter have a hook for a hand yeah okay. <laughs> and a peg leg oh that's a brutal combination <laughs> someone to punch how does he open peanut butter <laughs> Anyways, okay. So Daru, the last thing that happens really is that Daru successfully hacks into CERN, but only a certain level of it, right? Like, Which makes you wonder, what? is that stuff that they're just allowing him to see? Oh. 
I mean, if we're a big old corporation that's, that hypothetically are kind of bad baddies, uh -huh. like, you can hack into our firewall. Mm. Here's some information. Arsel picked this for you. Okay. Breadcrumbs. Another honeypot. Okay. <laughs> uh, and the information that they get is that CERN lied in their public statements that they did not succeed in creating a miniature black hole. So they, in this story, they have created miniature black holes, and that may be the secret to time travel. Oh, and then obviously we get the last line, which is, human is dead. Mismatch. The humans are dead. It, to me, obviously, it sounds like Makise, because she's the person who died at the beginning of uh, the series and is now mm. inexplicably alive again, right? Mm. Or mysteriously alive again. So what if Makise is an agent of CERN who went back in time? I think it's really interesting that he's like so upset about this like line, human is dead. But like, I feel like it's really naive to think that we would be testing time travel and on the first couple attempts someone wouldn't die oh <laughs> like, yeah that's you really true i think you're gonna nail time travel like the very <sighs> first time with your human like your human counterpart like well we lost todd all right get another one yeah those first chimps in space they did not come back <laughs> that's why they should have stuck with bananas yeah a lot of similar DNA to bananas. Like maybe, is that why? We have a lot of similar DNA to everything on earth because everything has a. So what you're saying is I'm not wrong. <laughs> yep. Well, Great. Mm -hmm. wait, are we part <laughs> banana? Yes. People say like, oh, you have 98% the same DNA as a monkey or a chimp or other a or apes or something, right? Well, the same is like of a banana. You have like 92% of a banana because most of DNA is like living on earth, like the cell structure and yeah, things yeah, you yeah. need to process. Uh, uh, anyways. But maybe that's why the banana worked the best and not the other food they tried. Yep. Mm-hmm. The chicken nuggets. That's that's what the problem. Oh my was. god! That's what broke <laughs> Please don't tell me we're ninety-eight percent chicken nugget. <laughs> that would suck. Uh, okay, we've got one more episode to get through. Uh, interpreter rendezvous. So let's do that, and we'll have we'll talk about what we've learned, and we'll have a nice evening. You guys ready? Yep. Uh, three, two, one, play. Uh, that was not my favorite episode. Explain explain that. Speak to that a little bit. I think just like the brand of humor is just not my brand of humor. What was a joke that didn't land on you? Oh, the way they banter. It reminds me of a lot of American sitcoms like Friends or Will and Grace or something. Mm. They're very, he's very mean to her. That's to my problem with most of this show is like, he's not nice to anyone no, he's nice to some people barely i think like, he's I a think, chauvinist yes and that's the thing i think he's a chauvinist i think he's a narcissist mm. i think that like he thinks that he's smarter than everybody else and i have yet to see any proof of that intelligence mm. in all honesty and so like i just i'm just like oh why does anybody like this person why do, why i don't understand why she put up with him for nearly as long as she did in the last half of that episode and then the dad being like oh i hope my daughter has friends like you guys one day why the scene you just witnessed between the two of them was mean as hell. But again, it's the same stuff you would see on any American sitcom, except in American sitcoms, you have a laugh track that makes yeah. it acceptable. So here it's just like super uncomfortable. <laughs> I think to some audiences is like, ah, look at them. They're like an old married couple. Yeah, I, I, I took that. That's yeah. what like the dad is was saying was like, oh, like 
clearly you guys are very comfortable with one another. Uh, which is not the case. Well, he acts very comfortable with her. Perhaps a little too comfortable. Mm. Yeah. Well, she's there. She's there by choice. Like, <laughs> yeah. she's curious about this scientific anomaly. So she's hanging out. Uh, yeah. So we now know that she's got an interest here and it has something to do with her father or she's worried of where her curiosity will take her because of her father. And she's a physicist. Is that right? I think, I think you're neuroscientist maybe. Oh, she might be a neuroscientist. Okay. I mean, she seems like someone who keeps up on scientific literature because she has a way to uh, debunk all of the, the time travel stuff. Cause I think that happened in like episode two, maybe. But but her dad was this time travel scientist, right? Yeah. Yeah, they at least hinted at that in here. I don't know if we actually got it said. Oh, yeah. No, she was just like, I'm not going to follow the same path as my dad. Mm -hmm. And then we had another, like, flashback when, like, the daughter and father were nice to each other at the shrine. And it could be, like, flashes back to her saying, oh, my dad. And he was like, a girl with daddy issues on it. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So so this might be spoilers, but I mean, the... The guy giving the lecture in episode one or mm-hmm. episode two. Um, do we know who that guy is? No, except that Okabe like embarrasses him because he likens his research to John Teeter. But now we're learning that maybe there is something to John Teeter. So maybe Okabe was, you know, talking about things he didn't really understand. Shocker. <laughs> so the joke that gets lost in translation. Okabe like goes to uh, Ferris because Ferris like, no, might know where one of these computers are, mm-hmm. but he's got to like enter her competition or whatever. And, you know, she's like a gamer. It's what she does. And she's, you know, at the top of her game that he's not going to beat her. But he says this thing that he's got this strategy that never fails. And he spells out this word, but the girl like says it phonetically. He's like, Jibaku. And like, Jibaku is like in gaming, someone who dies really quick and like regrets like just can't accept their miserable failure but also in folklore it's like that's where ghosts come from like someone who can't accept their death or whatever so they linger in regret i think he was just giving her an easy win he wasn't playing the game he was playing his game his game was get her to talk about the ibn 5100 Mm -hmm. and this was the only way he could do it. He, I doubt he even knew how to play whatever that game was. Yeah. I just uh, like that we sort of forget because the, the angle is so on their faces. There's an entire audience watching this interchange, <laughs> which I think is really funny when you think about it. Like, think of it, you're just like, you came to see a gaming competition and then like suddenly the world champion, the guy that she coerced into playing, which I also thought it was weird that she was so adamant that he play. Like She likes him. Gross. Stop. You're it's... better than that. You're a world champion. But yeah, I just uh, I just like to imagine that you're an audience member who's like there to see a world champion play. And then suddenly it just devolves into this yelling match about a computer you care nothing about. Mm. What is happening? But one female character I don't think likes him romantically. And I think that's Mayuri. I don't think she's actually into him that way. I think she's attached to him. We got this flashback in this episode, which intrigues me where she's at a grave and she's doing that reaching up to the sun thing. Well, she does it in the episode and then he flashes back to like this memory of her doing it at a grave. And I just love it. 
Like, I love the gesture and I love that it's not something that happened just at the beginning of the first episode. This is part of her. Like, this is something she does. It's like this, I don't know, artistic affect or something where she centers herself by, you know, framing the sun in her mind. I think she's got a crush on him, but that's fine. You think she has a crush on him too? You think everyone has a crush on him? I think she has a crush on him. You think Daru has a crush on him? Um, yes, absolutely. Mm, they'd make a cute couple. So what wh- what makes you think she has a crush on him? I know she's just like super. I mean, I her character is super nice and giggly to everybody, but I don't know. I just it just seems like the trope of like the kid sister mm-hmm. who like if he looked at her the right way, she would just be like, oh, my God, I've been in love with you for all these years. Mm. Like it's it's just very tropey to me right now, mm-hmm. like their relationship. And like, that's a common one of like, you have the stoic guy and this cute younger girl mm-hmm. who's like really bouncy and animated. And then they never end up with the kid sister. There is always some badass chick that's also stoic that they end Makise, up with. say, yeah. The younger kid sister type is always like, there's always one little heartbreak scene and then she sort of gets over it. And then somehow, some way in the climax, she really helps out and pulls her weight. And mm. she gets some sort of, you did good. And you know, you mean a lot to me sort of pat on the back. Mm. That's really common, I feel like. And so that's probably why I have this like, oh, she maybe they never say it. Maybe they never go that way. But like you said, this has harem DNA in it. And I feel like that is one of the slots is next door neighbor kid yeah. sister. So, mm-hmm. so, something I was just wondering is like, so sometimes in harem DNA, harem shows, you have like the main character is like, you know, actively lusting after all of the characters or like at least one of the characters in this, it seems like he's like not concerned with that at all, right? Oh yeah, like like he's just all about the science and whatever. And I was wondering, is that like a subtype of like harem, where it's sort of like the harem aspect is all like it's not explicitly addressed. It's just like, well, you have this one male character surrounded by all these like attractive female characters, but it's never like explicit. Know enough about harem like games and animes and stuff to like really say one way or the other but i do know enough dudes that would think that they're cool common collection yeah. and wouldn't care if all these women threw themselves at them that's a fantasy that a lot of young men would love to put in. themselves in yeah, yeah i can ag- agree with that yeah so i don't know if it's like specifically a harem thing but i do think it's like a a, a, a fantasy that a lot of guys have. Yeah. The only harem things I have any experience with is Tenchi Muyo and something that you used to watch, Ben, something Hina. Love, love Hina. I'm trying to, yeah. I mean, so that it's like sort of like, oh, there's this one like romantic interest that's a little bit weird because the mystery mm-hmm. is he doesn't know. It's like this like childhood friend who disappeared and he doesn't know who they are anymore. But I'm trying to remember, I don't really remember Tenchi Muyo very well at this point. But it's sort of interesting that like in this, Daru is the one who's like, he's sort of like the sleazeball. Yeah. Yeah. So it's sort of like an interesting choice to have that not be the main character. I don't know. Well, it just makes Okabe look a little bit better by proxy, I feel like. Yes. He's like, oh, look, he's not lusting all these girls. But part of me is like, well, at least Daru's <laughs> honest about it. Well, and in some ways, maybe like, in some ways, Daru is more of like the otaku yeah. character. So he's sort of like the 
audience stand-in character in a way or something like that. I think you guys are coming down really, really hard on our main character. Well, I don't get harem anime vibes from this show. And I don't think Okarin is aromantic because he clearly likes the trans priestess. Oh, yeah. I think he thinks she's cute. I don't know that. Yeah, I I just don't know. I think he's really into Makise. I really? think that that's, yeah. No, I don't think because so. Because she's, she's a good match for him. And maybe it's like that meet cute thing. Like he doesn't realize it at this point, but eventually he'll be like, oh, you're actually a good mirror for me as opposed to. Or maybe it's our American programmed brains of this is the type of relationship we see all the time in sitcoms that are together. That's true. And so we might be just reading into it more than what the actual intended audience would have read into it. That's mm. true. I think it's supposed to be flirty. I don't know. Really? Yeah. <laughs> Please don't flirt like with it... me. <laughs> like... <laughs> no, don't don't flirt like that. He sucks. But from a a certain perspective on the show, he's already saved her life, right? Because she died in the first episode. He sends this text and he doesn't know what he's doing, but suddenly she's alive again. Well, when he first meets her, they're like rivals. They have competing mm-hmm. ideas about science. And now she has his curiosity. And he has hers. Yeah. 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 I don't I don't feel like that's romantic though. Right. It's similar to like how you all were like, oh, you don't think that Miyoshi has a crush on him, but mm-hmm. because like I'm used to that system. Yeah. I think that we are used to the enemies to friends to lovers trope. Yes. Especially when you have cool loner girl with kick-ass boots that they like to who's been hanging out in the u.s (laughs) yeah Yeah. like she's just this loner mystery girl and like i i just feel like that's a big trope too and so like maybe again maybe to the intended audience this wasn't anything but i think it's very easy like it was easy for me to read into the little sister Mm -hmm. crush relationship i think it's very easy to read into this relationship so maybe i'm not giving the show enough credit maybe it's very aware of all of these tropes and Maybe it is it's just accidentally writing a lot of tropes. Oh, okay. I don't well, know. Well, no, I, I'm, always, you know, I'm always pessimist. You're okay. Well, it, it wouldn't surprise me if things unfolded that way. But my impression right now is that Ocarine is in love with like fringe science mm-hmm. and doesn't really care much about anything else. And if anyone's going to be a part of his life, they're going to have to take a backseat to that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But if it means anything, like we have established that Mayuri is a childhood friend, like Ocarina and her grew up together. Okay. I didn't quite get that yet, but okay. I, they definitely have a history. Yeah. Maybe maybe my love for that character is overshadowed by my love for the voice actress. Oh, yeah? Who is the voice actress in? Now, we're listening to the dub, so it's an English voice actress, but who's the voice actress for? It's actually Birch. Oh, okay. Uh, I've heard that name before. What has she done before? So uh, she, like, the most famous thing is she's Aloy in Horizon Zero Dawn. Oh, okay. Very popular game. And th- this is the the Mayuri voice actress? Yeah, uh, the, the English dub voice actress for Mayuri. But she, yeah, she's Aloy in Horizon Zero Dawn, which is my absolute favorite uh, video game. Wow, I would not have clocked that voice. She's completely different character in this. Especially since I've been playing Horizon again recently, so you've heard her voice a lot. Yeah. We were watching the first episode, and I was like, that sounds weirdly familiar, and I don't know why. And I had to look it up. But yeah, it's actually Bird. Wow. Um, Okay. Live action, she's in the show Mythic Quest. Mm. So she's pretty good. She's pretty nifty. So in the dub, is she like a little bit like airhead sounding? or like? Yeah, does that... 
come across in the Japanese or that yeah, that's like my impression of the the sub voice too. In a way that like makes me like a little bit like it's like a little bit like condescending or something like that. What do you mean? Like just like, oh, it's like, oh, she's like the daft female character who's just like, I don't understand anything. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, that's true. Yeah. That's why I think she's gonna be like integral to the time travel or something like she is this mystical link she keeps you know reaching up to the sun and calling down the the magic or the cosmic energy but like maybe maybe i just want to like her no well, she's <laughs> she's filled with a charming sense of wonder you know like saying things like even in daytime the stars are still there mm-hmm. yeah. well and i guess like they're all flawed characters right so like okabe is like this like asshole eccentric who like has delusional episodes where he talks to himself or like this weird defense mechanism where he talks to himself and then Daru is kind of like a creep who's like uh, obsessed with like erotic anime and stuff mm. I, I still want to defend the MC though I, I mean I agree he's eccentric and he's very very quirky like maybe even unhinged. I don't think he's an asshole though. Like an asshole would not indulge people's yeah. like weird RP things. And he does, and he does it enthusiastically. He's a charming asshole. I mean, know? I feel like I feel like there's like a spectrum of assholeness. Like you can still be an <laughs> asshole and have like fun, good qualities. Like I have friends, I'm like, you're an asshole, but I enjoy hanging out with you sometimes. <laughs> Both can be true. I I I think you're right, Blake. So that like like a little bit, it's like a front of being an asshole, but there's evidence of something, a deeper core that's, you know, less self-centered, maybe. Yeah, I think um, I think a lot of it is like the banter that we're seeing did not stand the test of time. I think that's when it was too. written, it was maybe seen as cute banter. Mm-hmm. And now it's like it's distasteful now. Yeah. Yeah. And and that veneer of asshole is a defense mechanism, right? We just went over like he he has this eccentricity of like talking to no one on his cell phone. He's doing his own kind of internal RP, but like that's a defense mechanism and him being brash is like a defense mechanism. And like, I wouldn't be surprised if we found out that like something hurt him very badly. Uh, you know, that's a little cheesy and tropey too, but that's true like that's how that we find that in in real people in the real world is like we get hurt somehow and we say never again and then we develop these asshole tendencies to keep ourselves safe pop culture is full of lovable assholes so Mm -hmm. like he could be in that realm that's true it's it is interesting to me that almost all these characters have like a fictional role play associated with them and that ocarine has alternate names for everybody is he just schizophrenic <laughs> none of these people exist he's just talking to himself i i think it's like a it's a fantasy thing there is a lot of stuff with names in this though that's true so like okarin you know wants to call her christina there's a thing with daru and whether it's like hacker or like Haxor or whatever mm-hmm. and then mayuri calls him okarin right and herself mayushi like she has these like nicknames for them. And her job is role-playing. Mm-hmm. She works at the maid cafe, right? Yeah. Like, hmm. So maybe there's something there, like a theme of different put-on personalities and how they can change. Yeah, I mean, people have bits like that. You know, like I'm dating somebody, they've got like a very masky kind of name. 
and I always say their name and have the subtitle Soldier of the Future. <laughs> and they like get, get this kick out of it. And we play with that every once in a while. And That's so cute. Is it John Connor? <laughs> I can't say their name on the air. All right. That's fair. That's fair. <laughs> So we we had some big uh, uh, moves forward in this episode. They found the IBN 5100. It was right under their noses at the shrine that uh, Ruka and her father uh, keep up, which was really cute, right? Like they find the mystical device at the shrine. Like that's- mm-hmm. It's very video game. Yeah, exactly. A place that you've been <laughs> okay. to before that you are know and love. Yeah, it's awesome. That you took for granted. I, I think I just realized why I'm defending uh, Ocarine so much. Why? There's the scene at the temple. Makise is not able to clock Luca. Luca goes away to get the computer or whatever. And Ocarine doesn't out her. He could have- done that in that moment but he doesn't and i was like i'm grateful for that i respect that move yeah that's awesome that's i i think his relationship with ruka is the most humanizing aspect of him Mm. um and that's the first place that we see him like playing into someone else's role the their role playing and i don't know how he sees it he may see that on the same level because he he plays into her sword practice and her Mm -hmm. exorcism thing right but he also plays into her gender identity and i wonder if to him they're the same thing or not well Hmm. that maybe that's what draws the line between asshole and lovable asshole Mm. (laughs) that's true (laughs) well it's gonna take more convincing for me to label him an asshole okay I, i wouldn't date him that's fair i don't even know if i would work with him he would probably just be too much. I just couldn't. You wouldn't join the lab? No, I don't think I would. I don't think I would. I would sit across from him at a gaming table and he would lose. You would lose. <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> he would like pull that fucking, uh, what, what was the thing again? His kaboom. Uh, his g- the, surrender. The, the jibaku. Jibaku. So I was going to say, so at the end of the last episode, and then we sort of get the solution to it this episode, we have that like machine code. Mm-hmm. Um, but that is sort of like a trope. So like in a lot of very old mystery stuff, I think it would, like there it was a trope that sort of disappeared, but they would have these like cryptography sections where there would be, you know, a bunch of like letters that if you were like a mystery fan, you could like decode the letters yourself to find out some clues about what this mystery was. But, you know, then eventually the detective decodes that stuff. Um, Mm. And, and, you know, maybe it's something you get in fantasy too, where it's like written in Elvic runes or something like that. Yeah, Tolkien did that stuff. Yeah. Thing that you need to decode. But then here we have this sort of like computer cracking thing where the IBN 1500 is like the the relic that they need to find to to decode this thing. <laughs> when I first saw this, I kind of groaned when they had to go look for the computer because I thought that they're going to burn up a bunch of episodes on a fetch quest. And they didn't. They just they got right to it. And I was like, oh, thank, thank God. Mm-hmm. But also, like, it's weird because, like, the dad is like, oh, someone said you'd come for this. Yes, it mm. came with a prophecy mm-hmm. leading me to believe that it was left by a time traveler. Ooh. Maybe John Teeter. Maybe he's like an international Playboy jet setter who's seeding IBN 5100s in different places and just waiting online for someone to snatch up the the mystery. 
somehow, some way, this is the second season of the Loki TV show. Mm. All, again, it's all just Disney and Marvel. Somehow, some way. <laughs> what if we're terribly wrong? What if like Ferris is the one behind everything? Don't be down with that. <laughs> like Ferris, like is the, the one who runs CERN. Ooh. Ferris runs Barter Town. No, I get you. And Mayushi's in on it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Now we're talking. Okay, well, I think we covered the episode pretty well. Any any last thoughts on this episode or the show as a whole before we do recommendations and a sign-off? Well, I don't know how to feel about Ocarine anymore. <laughs> good. That's good. Our discussion has shaken our, our perceptions of these characters loose. I like that. Now they're in this mercurial state that, you know, we'll we'll consider them throughout the week and come back next week. Well, and I will say I dislike him less now because I labeled him as just asshole and I'm willing to upgrade him to lovable asshole. <laughs> See, that's a dialectical process. Your your viewpoints came together. There was friction and now they are both okay. irrevocably changed by the experience. What about you, Ben? Any changing feelings? Um, I will, so I was just thinking about, you know, he makes the joke about the Makise is past trauma and mm-hmm. like that's why she's like behaving this way. And like, you know, that is sort of like this trope that I think you see in a lot of like TV writing is like this character acts, acts strangely. And then like you learn this thing about their past and like suddenly mm-hmm. it all makes sense. No, wait, wait, wait. But that was a setup for a joke and it was pretty funny. Like, he immediately went to a very specific scenario. It's like, you were on the plains, the grassy plains of Arkansas, and got struck by lightning. It's like, it's the most absurd trauma story ever. Yeah, well, no, no. I mean, I, I like it, and I sort of like the meta thing, but it is like, I was thinking, like, in some ways, time travel is set up in a way to tell that kind of story of, like, how these things from the past affect our future, and then... You know, normally mm-hmm. it's just sort of fixed, but like maybe it's like a new thing can now change this person into something else. But, you know, through time travel, you can sort of go back potentially and change these things, these past traumas or these things that made us mm, one way yeah. or another. So absolutely. That's the uh, that's the basis of EMDR. OK, great. Well, I, I hope that that's true and that that's where the show is going. I think I remember some of that, but I hope that we are going to uh, explore, you know, changing. I people. think I think we can be confident there's going to be a lot of trauma that gets explored <laughs> in the story like that. And it's it's funny because like this is four episodes in. There's still 20 yeah. plus episodes to go. Yeah. Oh wow. Well, so like the the recent series y'all have been doing, you've been like yeah, oh, thirteen so episodes. Long. Yeah. So I just, I never asked about it, and I was like, oh, I'm sure this is like twelve episodes. And okay. Yeah, but talking about it now, I almost feel like we're like way further into the story than yeah. we actually are. We're yeah. really only in the first sixth of it now. Yeah. yeah. And we're we're before the uh, the tonal shift. <gasps> yes. Yes, indeed. Okay. Well, Tanya. If people want to find more of you, where can they? Are, are you you're gonna make a new podcast called uh, Screams on Screen? Yes, I don't know when I'll get my act together. Okay, I've already got I already got a logo being cooked up by my artist friend, mm-hmm. and I already have like plans mm-hmm. and stuff and junk. Uh, I don't know when <laughs> they'll be released. Okay, and and you have a reserved spot for each of us 
to cover a horror movie with you. Oh, yeah. Okay, <laughs> good, good. Like, this is, I'm serious. I will watch any horror movie because to me, they are always entertaining because they're either good horror movies or they are so bad mm-hmm. that they're entertaining. And so, like, I even told some of my friends who want to come on the podcast but are scared of most horror movies. I'm like, I'll cover Hocus Pocus with you. <laughs> like, if it, if it falls in the, the genre of spooky ooky, let's do it. So okay. if anybody has anything that they want to cover, anything that they want to talk about, whether I've seen it or not, I'm like a thousand percent down for it. Okay. Are you familiar with Australian indie horror? I feel like I've seen one Wolf Creek. Is that? Hey, that sounds familiar. There were two. There was a couple lost in the Australian outback and a guy was definitely trying to kill them. So I feel like I've seen a couple. I will not turn down any horror movie. So like, okay. let's do it. Whatever you want to yeah, talk about a, it. I have a friend in Melbourne that told me to check out The Tunnel. Okay. Uh, and that was really weird. And then a sort of tongue in cheek horror movie called So Vamp. Oh, all right. You know, they were... You know, just I think it's like college students filmed these things, but uh, you can find them on like Tubi or Pluto or Freebie or something like that. All right, cool. So at some point, screams on screen will exist, and you can check it out at some point in our lifetimes. Hopefully mm. soon, because it's almost October. But in the future, Ooh. <laughs> uh, and <laughs> if people are enjoying this show, is there anything that you can recommend to them uh, uh, to accompany it? Not the, This is really lame and mainstream, but, you know, there is a big Doctor Who special coming up that I am excited okay. about. Uh, David Tennant, even though, even though, look, I love David Tennant, but I'm kind of tired of them trotting him out because I'm like, guys, you have to move <laughs> on. You've brought him back like seven times. But am I still going to watch it? Yes, I am. Mm, so yeah. I think it's hell like yeah. their 60th and they've brought back also one of my favorite companions, Donna Noble. Oh, Wow. Catherine Tate and David Tennant are one of my favorite in real life best friend mm-hmm. pairings and anything that they do together. They did much do about nothing together where they were Beatrice and Benedict and it is so cute and so funny. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. So I will watch anything, but I think it's the 60th anniversary special. Well, I'll keep an eye out for that. Um, mm-hmm. So question for you before you go, uh, who is your favorite lovable asshole? I mean, character. <laughs> not in real life. Yeah. We're not gonna name names. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but our favorite show is Bob's Burgers, and I think that Calvin Fish over Odor is a lovable asshole. Sometimes hmm. he's awful, but I do love him. And him and Bob are very good friends at this. Well, they're friends at this point. And Fish Odor sees Bob as a a, a father stand-in, even though Fish Odor is obviously older than Bob. But I think he's one of my favorites. And also, we've been rewatching Parks and Rec. Oh, we're we're rewatching Parks and Rec right now. We're in season. Oh three. wow, that's cool. I feel like Ron Swanson is a lovable asshole. Ron Swanson he's, is a lovable asshole. He's lovable absolutely asshole. a jerk, but well, he's libertarian, which means I agree with him on a lot of his political yeah. views. But he's <laughs> missed the mark on one particular thing. Yeah. How about you, Ben? Do you have a lovable asshole? I'm sure. I'm sure <laughs> lots of people love. No, that's should be one of the promo clips. That's our new question oh we ask God. every guest. Does someone <laughs> love your asshole? To this show. <laughs> Do you have a favorite character? Who's in a lovable the category asshole? Of, of lovable asshole. That's what I meant to say. 
You know, when you guys were saying Bob's Burgers, <laughs> I yeah, thought you were going to say Bob. Because like, I feel like H. John Benjamin is good at being a lovable asshole. So like his like home movies character that yeah or like Archer like Archer sure yeah oh yeah <gasps> <laughs> yeah that's my answer John McGurk definitely absolutely <laughs> oh gosh thank you Ben I think technically also like from Futurama Bender oh the lovable hundred percent okay so there's a lot of good ones out there what about you Blixa do you have a favorite uh, my favorite is Char from Gundam Ooh. I just really like the way he fucks with people a revolutionary asshole yeah okay deep cleansing breath here we go pen pen pals lovable asshole love that asshole yeah humans are dead that's right they are dead